Now again, welcome to Hope Church. Uh, special welcome if it's your first time with us. You're really, really welcome. Now I want to start um, this morning with a question. My question to you is this. Will you make history or will you repeat history? You see, to repeat history is to do something the way it's always been done. To make history is to dare to be different. In 1964, a teenager named Dick Fosby revolutionized the sport of high jumping. The conventional method of getting over the high jump bar was the straddle or the scissor kick. But that didn't fit his six foot five inch body type. So Dick Fosby did something different. Instead of doing it the way it had always been done, he innovated. He innovated with a shoulders first jump. It looked very awkward. One sports commentator said it looked like a fish flopping in a boat. But four years and thousands, if not tens of thousands of awkward jumps later at the 1968 Olympics, Dick Fosby represented America, won the gold medal, and did it in a new world record of seven foot four and a quarter inches. Now that's pretty amazing in itself. But I think there's something even more amazing that comes after. Because at the next Olympic Games, four years later, 28 out of the 14 high jumpers used the Fosby flop named after the man who created it. 28 out of 40. And then from then on, everybody used the Fosby flop. He dared to be different. If you want to repeat history, do it the way it's always been done. If you want to make history, dare to be different. Here's the reality for most of us. At some point in our lives, we stop creating the future and start repeating the past. We stop living out of our imagination and we live instead from our memory. We stop being transformed and instead become conformed to the world we live in. Which is why as Christians, as believers, we are called to the Fosby flop. We are called to be different. We are called to dare to be different. Today is Hope Church Vision Sunday. Proverbs 29 and verse 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Vision is an expression of what Hope Church wants to be known for. It's what drives us. It's what guides us. It's what provides focus to know what is important. It gives us meaning and it gives us purpose to what we do. Now, as a leadership team over the last year, we've been looking at, praying about, working on the Hope Church vision, which I want to read to you now. 
This is the, the, the vision of what, as a church, we are about. We are called to love God and love others by sharing the good news of Jesus and growing a community of devoted disciples. As Christians and as the church, we are called to love God and love one another. Jesus basically said all of the commandments can be summed up in those two commandments. As a church, it's what we want to be known for. We want to be known as a community of God's people who worship and love the Lord Jesus and demonstrate that by loving those we come into contact with. Loving our neighbors, loving those in East London that we bump shoulders with at work, at home, in every part of our lives. As a church, we're called to love God and love one another. But one of the main ways we do that is by sharing the good news of Jesus. We have a mandate as believers, as the church, to tell others the good news of Jesus. Because Jesus Christ, we believe, is the hope of the world. I love what someone said evangelism is. Evangelism is one beggar telling another where to get food. We have a mandate upon us as the church and as individuals to share the good news, to share the gospel, to share Jesus, the hope of the world. And we want to do this. We want to love God. We want to love people. We want to share Jesus. And we want to see this community of believers grow. We want to see many come to Christ. Many come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to see Christians find their home amongst us. Find their home in this family of God. I know today is a dedication, but over the last few weeks, we've seen, in fact, the last few months, a significant sense of momentum, of, of God with us, of numbers growing, of new people coming in. As the church grows, we're going to have challenges over, do we need to go to another service? Do we need to find a bigger venue? These are good things that we want to wrestle with because we want to see a church that grows. We want to see a church that, that multiplies. We want to see a church that proclaims Jesus, loves people, and sees people come to know the Lord Jesus, are added in daily to the community of believers. And then a community, grow a community of devoted disciples. The world is desperate for community. The early church was a community of believers in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. We see there the picture of community, sharing possessions, meeting in one another's homes, praying together, reading the Bible together. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. So it's a community aspect to what we do. But it's not just community for community's sake because we want to see devoted disciples, men and women who are serious about God, men and women who through all the ups and downs and persecution and trials of life say, no, I will follow Jesus. 
We want to be true followers of Jesus in 2023. That means being salt. That means being light. That means living to the beat of a different drum. That means shining like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. We want to grow, not just numerically, but we want to grow devoted disciples. Daniels and Esthers and people like that that are out in the world making a difference for Jesus. So we are called to love God and love others by sharing the good news of Jesus and growing, growing a community of devoted disciples. Now that's the, the vision statement that as a leadership team we've been looking at and come together with over the last year. But what I want to do now is unpick this with five questions that I'm going to put to you. Five questions that I want to challenge you with. Five questions that I really want to kind of like get under your skin a little bit with and, 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 and ask you, well, what is your part to play? Here's the first question. Will you rebuild? Isaiah 61 is a very famous scripture. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. It's the scripture that Jesus opened and read in the synagogue to start his earthly ministry. I just want to read verse 4. Verse 4 says this, They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. You may ask as you read that, who are they? Who are the they in verse 4? Well, the they are the broken, the needy, the poor from the first three verses. They are the ones who will rebuild. They is, in other words, it's you and me. You and me who have come to know Jesus through the proclamation of the gospel, who've come to know him because of hearing the good news and be accepted as a son and daughter of the Most High. But they, in verse 4, is you and me. So when we hear of the vision of Hope Church, when we see the broken, messed up world around us, the immediate question is, well, well who makes it happen? Who makes the vision happen? Who is it that, that, that heals a broken world? Who is it that tells people about Jesus? It's you. It's you and I who rebuild. It's you and I who build the kingdom of God. But you may ask, well, Mark, well, what do I rebuild with? You build with what you have. We haven't got time to go into it now, but if you read the book of Nehemiah, You'll read the wonderful story there of a cupbearer to the king who God speaks to. His heart breaks for the devastation of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, which had lied in ruins for 140 years, was rebuilt in 52 days. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. He was an ordinary man like you and I, but he built with what he had. What did Nehemiah have? He had fellow Jews. He had other people, a ragtag bunch, but he had other people. And he had the stones 
from the old wall. If you read the account, you'll read that he went to get materials for the gates. But to rebuild the walls, he used the existing walls of the devastated Jerusalem. And there's a principle here for us that is so important. When we ask, how am I going to rebuild? How are we going to see the ancient ruins restored? How are we going to see God's kingdom come? How are we going to see the vision of Hope Church become a reality? We're going to see it through God's people, you and I, each one of us playing our part, building the kingdom of God. And we're going to do it through the stones that God has given us, through the truth of God's word, through prayer, through the gifts of the spirit, through loving people and serving people. In other words, we're not looking for anything new. I think sometimes in Christian circles, sometimes people are waiting for the new fad. They're waiting for the next best thing. God says, no, I want you to rebuild. I've given you what you need. You have one another and you have the stones. You have scripture. You have prayer. Get on and rebuild. To make Hope Church's vision a reality, it's going to take each and every one of us to love people, to give of our time and our finances, to use our talents, to pray and intercede, to share Jesus where God gives us the opportunity. So the first question is, will you rebuild? Will you rebuild? Second question, are you a thermometer or a thermostat? In 1963, Martin Luther King wrote a very famous letter from Birmingham jail. Now, this letter was written directly to the church. I'm going to read a section of it out to you. I mean, this stuff is dynamite. Just listen. Think of our context today in 2023. Listen to this. There was a time when the church was very powerful. It was during that period that the early Christians rejoiced when they were deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was the thermostat that transformed the mores or the morals of society. Wherever the early Christians entered a town, the power structure got disturbed and immediately sought to convict them for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But they went on with the conviction that they were a colony of heaven and had to obey God rather than man. They were small in number, but big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. They brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial contests. I mean, drop the mic moment, Martin Luther King. And that, that sentence, in those days, the church, the early church, 
was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was the thermostat that transformed the morals of society. I mean, whole church, we want to be that thermostat that impacts society around us. And the question each one of us have to answer is, are you a thermometer or a thermostat? Do you take your cues from the trending hashtag and the world we live in, or do you take your cues from the Holy Spirit? Do you shift the atmosphere when you walk into a room? Do you shift the atmosphere with faith, hope, and love? You are a grace giver. You are a tone setter. You bring the aroma of Christ. You are soul and you are light. Are you a thermometer or a thermostat? Third question. Will you dig wells? In the book of Numbers, we had the story of Caleb and Joshua. They were two of the 12 spies who went into the promised land. And 10 came back with a negative report, but Caleb and Joshua came back with a positive report. They saw through eyes of faith. They they saw that this is possible because God is on our side. And this is what it says in Numbers 14 and verse 24. God speaking about Caleb. Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. This blessing that God gave to Caleb was a blessing that would benefit not just him, but his descendants to the third and to the fourth generation. And I want to say to each one of us, you are part of a bigger story. You are part of God's story. You know, in the Bible, there are some bits that we sometimes skip. And I bet one of the bits that sometimes we might skip is the genealogies that are written in the Bible. There's a whole bunch of them in the Old Testament. There's one in Matthew, the first gospel, Matthew chapter 1, the first kind of 10, 11, 12 verses are the genealogy of Jesus. And you read this list of names and you think, huh? that's boring, I'm falling asleep. What relevance does that have? But let me tell you, the genealogies can teach us so much. Let me just show, let me just mention a few of the things that a genealogy can teach us. Firstly, a genealogy, a list of names tells us that this world, God's story is not all about me. It's not all about us. Secondly, a genealogy can tell us that, that you and I are born, we can be born into someone else's story. It also tells us that we never know who is in the womb. It also shows us and tells us the genealogy that God is writing a bigger story. He's writing his story. 
Now you are part of that, but he is writing a bigger and a better story. And lastly, fifthly, genealogies tells us that we drink from wells that we did not dig. You and I, we drink from wells that we did not dig. I love this. Someone said, legacy is not what you accomplish. It's what others accomplish because of you. And discipleship is growing fruit on other people's trees. That's what discipleship is. And you see, we, we, we get grafted into God's story. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 2, the genealogy of Jesus, it begins by saying this. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Now, people lived to a little bit longer years back then. But basically, if you do the maths, that's 502 years of faithfulness. That's 502 years of long obedience in the same direction. That's what it looks like. God will have done something in your life for someone else. Just just chew on that for a minute. Just think about that for a minute. God will be doing things in your life right now. God will have done things in your life in the past. And he will have done it for someone else. We drink from wells we did not dig. We compose a song for someone else to sing. When it comes to the vision of Hope Church, we are to all play our part. We are to all dig wells for someone else to drink from. Fourth question. Who will you leave your fingerprint on? John Thompson, Lennon Izzy Smith, Gough Hope, Mike Hewitt. All of those people, and I could have listed many more, are people who left a fingerprint on my soul. They are all people who believed in me at different points in my life, giving me the first opportunity to preach age 15 at a youth service, discipling me as a student, let me organize and lead a holiday for 80 young people in the summer and lead a team of 30 leaders, teaching me the ins and outs of church leadership and then championing me to plant Hope Church. Let me ask you a question. Who saw the artist in you? Who gave you your first break? Who believed in you? Who listened to you when you were in pain and life was hard and life was difficult? The truth is God uses people. He uses each one of us. You can reach people that I cannot. I always think about it, the Venn diagrams, you know, for maths, the circles. 
We may overlap with lots of people, but there will be people that you reach that I cannot reach. And you may overlap with your friends or your family, but there will be people, there will be areas in your life where you are the only Christian that someone will meet. You are the only person who will have maybe the opportunity to tell them about Jesus, to invite them to church. You might be the only person who will be able to get alongside them and listen to their problems and pray for them and help them along life's narrow way. When it comes to the vision of Hope Church, to share Jesus, to grow community, to disciple devoted disciples of Jesus. It's going to take each one of us. It's going to take every single one of us to make that a reality. Who will you leave your fingerprint on? Final question. How will you view life? The crazy reality is most human beings live with a confirmation bias. We have an internal self-talk. And most of the time, it looks for the problem first. Someone once did a study and they said, the average human being, the average adult has 60,000 thoughts a day. And then listen to this, 80% of the average adult's thoughts have a negative slant. 80%. You know what it's like. You get one criticism amongst a thousand compliments. You remember the criticism. How will you view life? Romans 8 verse 37 says this, Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. You see, as Christians, the Bible says we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We operate from the power of God in us. We need to view life through the correct lens. The Holy Spirit is in us. All things are possible. Someone said, you know, having the Holy Spirit inside of you, being filled with the Spirit, is sometimes referred to as the anointing. And I love this definition of the anointing. Someone said, the anointing in you and I is this. It's the best possible version of yourself that you can be. I love that. You're not looking to compete with the guy next to you or the person in front of you or your brother or your sister. You're not looking to compete with the person in your community group. You're not looking to compete with me or another church leader or another person of faith that you admire. No, no, no. You have the Holy Spirit in you, the anointing of God in you to be the best possible version of yourself. I love that. With the best possible version of yourself, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. It was George Carey, the missionary, who said this, we are to attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Death is defeated. 
We are a resurrection people. That's what Christians are, resurrection people. The grave is empty. So all things are possible. We are more than conquerors through Christ who dwells inside of us. How will you view life? So let me conclude and pull this all together. The vision of this church is that we are called to love God, to love others, to share the good news of Jesus, and to grow a community of devoted disciples. That's what we're about. That's who we are. But when it comes to the outworking of that vision, listen, guys, it's going to take each and every one of us. Will you rebuild? Will you be that thermostat and not the thermometer? Will you dig wells for someone else to drink from? Who will you leave a fingerprint on that you invest time and energy and love and prayers into your life, into their life? And how will you view life, the possibilities that we have in Christ, that all things are possible through Christ who lives and dwells inside of you? Mm -hmm.